listening to the Infinity Festival Hollywood Podcast. I'm John Gaunt. The Infinity Festival Hollywood Podcast features top creators and technologists as they explore how to push storytelling to the next level. Now, these sessions from the 2021 Infinity Festival Hollywood are presented by Z by HP, NVIDIA, XLA, and co-presented by Qualcomm. The next edition of the Infinity Festival Hollywood will take place November 2nd through November 5th, 2022 in Hollywood's Vinyl District. Visit www.infinityfestival.com to learn more about this year's event. This show from 2021 offers a close look into the engine room of the metaverse. Charlie Fink from Chapman University speaks with Rick Champagne of NVIDIA, Rafaela Camara of Epic Games, and Tony Parisi from Unity about how technology and standards must evolve to transform the metaverse from theory to reality. All right, so welcome to panel number two today in the Reality of the Metaverse track. Uh, I neglected in the earlier opening to introduce myself, so I'm Mark Johnson, and uh, I'm a digital media consultant and uh, strategist, product development person. I've uh, been in this space for quite a while and with different hats on, and today I'm not wearing a hat right now, so <laughs> I'm trying to be neutral. Uh, we have, you know, well, so Athena very graciously uh, posed some questions about where, where we're going to go with this metaverse idea. And uh, as this panel is entitled, Competing Visions of the Metaverse. So it'll be interesting to hear where some companies and some individuals are coming from with regard to this. And for this, we have our illustrious Charlie Fink of Chapman University and many other uh, places as our moderator who is, uh, will, you're in capable hands with Charlie and he's gonna lead us through this discussion. Tony Parisi to my left from Unity, Raffaella Camara from Epic Games. That was, that was a tough one, folks. And Rick Champagne from NVIDIA, who did about three panels yesterday, so he's probably uh, resting. No, but he's, he's due here, and I hope he'll slip in before, uh, before we get too far into it. So Charlie, without any further ado, I'm gonna hand you my mic, and we can get going. Sorry, I was communicating with the conference organizer saying, where is Rick? I'm sure he's at Howie Mandel's panel right now. But yeah, well, they, they're making us compete with Howie Mandel. So I feel very flattered you guys chose us. Um, we certainly, Tony and myself and uh, Rafaela, have talked many times about this and related topics. Uh, as most of you have know, uh, the metaverse is not a new idea. It does not belong to Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg has been talking about it for a long time. He talked about it during the acquisition of Oculus. He said that they wanted a platform play. This is the uh, manifestation of all of those platitudes that he's been putting out there over the years without really defining them. He did mention the metaverse on a conference call, uh, partly in response to Tim Sweeney and Epic Games raising a billion dollars from Sony and others and earmarking it specifically for the metaverse. They didn't exactly say much more, so perhaps we'll get uh, some more insight into what Epic is doing. Um, but. You know, before uh, really VR was a thing, uh, people were working on the building blocks of the metaverse. 
and the first manifestation of that, in my opinion, was in the 90s when we started to work, a small team started to work on a, a program called Vermal, which would be VR's answer to HTML, right? Because we have HTML allows us to have search and hyperlinks, right? Which is the foundation of the internet. In fact, when I started working on the internet in 1993, that's all there was, right? And, and hyperlinks started on CD-ROMs and everybody was saying, gee, maybe it would be great if we could put that on bulletin boards. And, and that was really, truly the beginning of the commercial consumer internet. Before that, it was all academics using um, scripts to send each other emails. Um, so that was the beginning of the commercialization of the internet. And a small team, some of us were working in VR. I was working on VR at Disney. And there were teams around the country, including a team in California, working on something called Vermal which was the answer to HTML. And so the idea was we would be able to go in virtual reality from place to place as we do when we are using the internet and we click on a Google link and, and we go to a site. And, and that is you know, the whole basis of our activities in browsers. So before we get started with the panel and drilling down into what uh, industry leaders are saying today and what its implications might be, I wanted to turn it over to Tony, who was one of the core members of that Vermal team, to talk a little bit about um, this underlying technology without which doesn't exist and without which there will be no metaverse. So let us be clear, the connective tissue that is at the core of every single definition of a metaverse or the meta, the metaverses or metaverse, and we will debate that important but subtle distinction. Um, but before any of that can exist, that underlying code, common code, has to exist. So. Tony ran a team that was trying to bring that together in the 90s. I would love to hear more about where that effort is now. Tony also, of course, had a very passionate response um, to Facebook and others' explorations of the metaverse because his point of view has been developed over 30 years. So, Tony, you are the source. Oh, thank you, Charlie. Thank you for outing me, too. I, mean, I, was obviously, I was obviously in grammar school when I was doing all that. Uh, well, Mark Zuckerberg was in grammar school I, when you were doing it. Yes, I guess so. Um, so let's see. Let's go back to the early 90s. My wife, Marina, and I had just moved to San Francisco to pursue our dreams of being on the West Coast. We were East Coasters. We looked up a friend of mine, Mark Pesci. Uh, he was... He had this idea, like, well, let's glue the web together with 3D graphics. And we were fiddling with real-time 3D on a PC. This was still a multi-thousand dollar personal computer with a graphics card. And we created these prototypes of something that came to be known as VRML. So arguably the first 3D working code that connected the web to 3D with hyperlinks. I mean, it was simple little low polygon models. It was a kind of still disjoint experience, but it was a proof of concept of all that. That engendered a massive wave of industry hype, actually. That was sort of the kickoff, I would say of of the second wave of trying to do metaverse stuff if you think of the first one is uh, you know um ivan sutherland and all the early vr and ar headsets and all that if you go back to the immersive hardware um and there was a big period of hype which is not unfamiliar to crowds like this when we've seen what's gone on with the hype cycle around vr that happened with oculus that we're climbing out of now to, it would appear and that we're now about to see with the metaverse so to me it's all full circle for for me for sure definitely definitionally it is the internet in 3D. You know, we can argue all the different use cases, but 
I, I intentionally, in my point of view, keep this really broad. This is 3D computing, spatial computing for the good of everyone, making our lives better, not trying to get us into some dystopian thing that recreates science fiction novels, which are cautionary tales, right? So here we are, we have this great opportunity to do wonderful things with uh, computer networks and new hardware and amazing 3D graphics. That's why I work at Unity. And it's just, it's a great time. But already the nonsense is, is spewing on the internet, which is what wasn't even um, any pronouncements by uh, Zuck or anything that got me to write that seven rules posting. It was like, look at all the FUD, look at all the crazy definitions being slung around. Can we just get some clarity and understand what mission we're kind of on together and could we agree on at least a handful of principles that was what motivated me to sort of post that rant a month ago so i'm going to read his rant since he didn't do it um the seven rules there is only one metaverse the metaverse is for everyone so this is metaverse capitalized because there is only one uh, nobody controls the metaverse the metaverse is open the metaverse is hardware independent Rule six, the metaverse is a network. Uh, and rule seven, the metaverse is the internet. Um, rule seven, the metaverse is the internet, I think is one of the most important ideas in there because the metaverse is not going to replace the internet. It is going to embrace the internet. The internet will exist inside said metaverse. Now, uh, getting at uh, before we talk about Epic's approach and point of view of the internet, I'll talk a little bit about the bomb that Mark Zuckerberg dropped last week in the form of a 75-minute, $4 million movie-come uh, keynote, uh, where he illustrated and explained and explained and explained every effort the company has undertaken. And in a way, it was an investor presentation. If you doubted they had a way to spend $10 billion a year on this idea, he fully apprised us on how that was being spent and how hard it is, you know, particularly the AR pieces, which are far from figured out. There is no visual operating system. They said flat out miniaturization is nowhere nearly, uh, you know, and it's not just miniaturization, it's heat management. You know, because the things you're miniaturizing give off heat and look at how close it is to your head, much farther away than the box, than the Android computer in the front of your Oculus Quest. So this is a considerable technology challenge that they're working on and they owned that. The VR piece to me looked a lot like Ready Player One. Um, didn't see a whole lot of differences there. I thought they were clever about how they imagine AR and VR may interface someday. I think Microsoft, it looked a lot like Microsoft Mesh, which is a much more involved idea that is actually working today. Um, so that's the summary of what Zuck had said. And of course, it's driven everybody absolutely crazy. Um, you know, every time Mark Zuckerberg says privacy or AI, I get a little chill because it reminds me of how badly they have managed the Facebook platform. So it doesn't make them, to me, the default people to run uh, the internet. Uh, even though they say they want an open internet, um, they keep buying everybody. So that is not open, that is control. So we shall see uh, how open or not it becomes. But uh, 
There are very powerful people, people with enormous audiences, who may have something to say about this. One of them is Epic Games, <laughs> and one of them is NVIDIA. So I'm sorry Rick isn't here. NVIDIA has specific rules, uh, uh, specific ideas about the internet, which are similar but quite different uh, to the ones and the methods suggested by Facebook. I'll be fair to Facebook and say they're just putting it out there. It was mostly an investor thing. They know it's not that simple. Um, but certainly, if you're concerned about Facebook or social media, they left that on the field so you could continue to be concerned about it. Uh, we are poised, in my opinion, to bring every mistake we made on the internet with us along with the internet itself, into the metaverse. But I think that is a much longer panel. So um, let me turn it over to you, Raphael, and let's talk about Epic Games and, and uh, your views or the company's views or, or your personal views on, on the metaverse and, and this competition, it seems, to build a bigger internet. Yeah, and maybe what I will do first is, uh, well, everyone knows Epic Games. I think I think almost everyone does, at least. Uh, it's really to try to define who we are, if you don't mind, because I think very often we are thought only as a part and not the whole. And I think we see ourselves a little bit differently. Um, so first off, we've been around for 30 years, just like Tony. He was just born. <laughs> uh, some people like to forget that or forget that. Even I didn't think about that um, when, I, when I first joined. Uh, but... Um, we have one goal and the goal for us is very clear. We want to help build an open metaverse. And for us, it's all about the creators and helping any creator build that. Um, we believe we're unique because we consider ourselves not a gaming company, not a licensing company, nor a tools company. We think of ourselves as an ecosystem company. We think we're unique because we have many of the pieces needed to build the open metaverse. So we have the tools, to create the 3D assets and the experiences with Unreal Engine and our, our, our suite of creator tools. We have the services to build and connect the worlds with Epic Online Services and our participation to uh, Open Standard Consortiums. Uh, we also have the libraries of assets and the marketplaces with the UE Marketplace. We have Sketchfab, ArtStation, Quixel Bridge. Uh, but we also have the social experiences, which makes us a little bit different in that sense. So we have five more than 500 million players. We have billions of connections, um, and that is, you know, for Fortnite, Fortnite Creative, Rocket League, and uh, so forth. And finally, we have a really strong community of creators that we support every day with mega grants, with fellowships, and also we provide our own engine for free to download with free assets, millions of free assets, to really help try to build that because we understand that if there is not a metaverse where everybody participates and everybody helps uh, build, then we also don't have a place to live. Um, so we really strive to do that. So. We don't have an exact definition for the metaverse. Uh, we have tenets that I believe are very similar to what uh, Tony brought up and we all believe. We like to think of it as a 3D version of the internet, uh, but with uh, an extreme level of social interaction. Uh, so we like to call it social experience. And with that also, and, uh, we want to make it as inclusive as, as possible and really make sure that people can present themselves uh, with their own sense of agency. They, they can present themselves and manage their persona depending on her, their uh, ever-changing sense of identity. That for us is very important and we believe that's key in whatever is built there. So when we look at tenants, we uh, look at openness, 
which we have been talking about for a long time. We believe that people need to be able to move and share freely across worlds, across experiences. And that means that, uh, you know, uh, open standards, open libraries, open source tools are necessary to be able to share and build these experiences. Otherwise, it doesn't work at scale. Uh, we also then believe, obviously, in persistency and social as a huge element. Uh, the the, one of the major differences, I think, between the internet and the metaverse is the level of interaction between users is completely different. And the level of being able to rep represent myself with agency in a certain way is completely different. So if you don't have those two things and you don't cater for them, then it's difficult to do it. That means that anything that you end up building for those worlds, that could be the way that you're dressed, the way that you present yourself, the makeup, whatever you're doing in it has to be accounted for and has to be built by different creators in order to be able to do that. Yeah, Charlie, I mean, that is if I can pick up on that. That trend toward more real-time, more deeply expressive and personal communication is probably a differentiator from your, you know, your father's internet, as it were, you know, the internet of today that we all see. It's moving much more to real-time, as Raffaella pointed out. Well, well so, so <clears throat> let's, let's unpack all that. In a, in a couple of levels, because one thing we saw, uh, you know, uh, Facebook acquired Kodak. They showed us some photorealistic avatars. In fact, photorealistic avatars were sort of the stars in a way of the movie that they made. Um, they also believe you're going to have a range of avatars you may use depending on where you are. You may choose to be photorealistic in a business meeting and choose to be a cartoon lion while you're playing chess with a buddy across the world. So that was their view on avatars. I have another view on avatars. I, I mean, I happen, first of all, let me just say, I happen to think the game engines are in a unique position to provide the glue that we were talking about. Whether or not they can pull that off, it, it's not going to be a simple thing. But as a developer, I can tell you, I would love to check a box that says, use MetaHumans as your avatar system and not worry about it. That is the beauty of both Unreal and Unity is that they have these APIs that take out that complexity for people who don't write code like me, but want to use a spatial development platform. So that is super, super important. And I think if that can be achieved, that was the API that Zuck said they were working on. But I don't think that that API should be imposed on content. I think it needs to be built into the content, which would be at the stage of development with a game engine. Now, there are workarounds to this, right? I have my students upload their Unity creations into Altspace, and we use the Altspace avatar system. Avatar systems are really hard. You know, so having a universal avatar system would be a game changer. The, the other thing about avatars is identity, right? Even though you have many costumes, right? You may want to be a robot. You may be a woman who wants to be a man in certain situations. But in the end, there is one identity attached to the blockchain which connects you to your digital assets. And what we lack right now is a central organizing position around identity. We punted on that on the internet. Now, we didn't know any better then. Yeah, and I mean, it moved really fast, exactly, in sort of circumstances. 
sort of moved ahead of where the internet infrastructure, I mean, it was about sharing documents, right? It was about publishing media. We didn't think we needed an online identity standard. And then, of course, right social there. networks came along and, and things really got out of hand. Uh, and again, I, I don't blame them for that. I mean, this is the unintended consequences of new technologies are, are always going to surprise us and always make us feel kind of dumb because we should have seen it coming. Um, but now that we have seen it, <laughs> to not do something about it um, seems to me to be reckless. Yeah, I mean, and this is, I think, a big part of the movement. It's going to pick up on both of the points you were just making, I think. Big part of the movement toward decentralization, I think, is twofold. One is consumers wanting to have more control over these kind of choices around identity and privacy. And then to Raffaella's earlier point, it's, it's about creators also having more freedom about, you know, how owning what they have and all that. So the, I, th I think these things are intimately connected connected because the platforms, as Tim likes to say, are like we should be you know, part of the supply chain and not taking too much, not controlling too much. And we're going to see those movements just keep going in that direction. And, and that's why I do think the game engine tech layers become even more important. Yeah, and that's why it's not just the, it's the services too, to the NDPIs mm -hmm. to connect these worlds. They're so important. I know that uh, uh, from our perspective, we sometimes we talk lightly about the, the online services that you provide, but they're really important. And from an identity perspective, you're correct. There is nothing yet that says, hey, this is me. This is almost like my, my locker. And this is where I keep all my different identities or my clothes. And you take but that with you me. wherever exactly. you go. But that's yeah. supposed to be the idea because to give it to somebody else, then it doesn't make sense anymore, right? Then you don't own it anymore. Well, and, unless and you, you want, want it, Facebook, unless you want to put it in a vault. And you don't want Facebook to be your right. bank. <laughs> you know, I think the problem with Facebook ultimately, and I don't think the name change will change this, is that they've lost our trust. And, and like in any relationship, once you lose somebody's trust, it's really, really hard to get it back. And, and the problem is they're still talking the same way they were talking when they lost my trust. There's no sense of contrition or doing things differently. I actually, I know I will be pilloried for this. I am sorry that they gave up on forcing people to have one identity in Oculus because I thought that was the first step toward at least acknowledging that people having multiple identities in the metaverse could be very, very problematic, particularly if they can be anonymous. Now, I know there are bad players that will always be able to do that. That doesn't mean any person should be able to do that. And even if you want to dress up like a robot and be disguised, you still can't burn the place down without right. being identified, blocked, sanctioned. And that's what we're missing on the internet. This lack of accountability allows people to do antisocial and even lawless things uh, without care for, the, for society that they would never do you know, in person. So we have to make that metaverse more like we're in person and less like the internet where we're hiding. Well, this is, okay, so multiplayer gaming has got this figured out in a big way. There are all kinds of online service solutions for toxicity and abuse and all of that. And so that's a place where I think, you know, you, you know, part of my big point of view on this is it isn't just about games. That said, the game industry has pioneered so many areas when it comes to this kind of stuff, including yes. privacy, toxicity, 
and all that. And I think you're going to see our, our companies lead the charge just through you know the experience yeah. of developers, millions of developers making all these online games for so many years. Yeah, sometimes people think of games and like it's all about games. It's, it's really not about that. It's just that as you're developing a game, you have certain issues with that. Like, for example, how do I create a digital human and how do I do it fast and how do I have more and how do I make sure that the digital human looks more like a regular person? So once you have figured it out for your own game, if you can provide it to others, you start helping the creator ecosystem. Same thing if you're trying to put different clothes on them or you want the clothes to move in a certain way, you want the makeup to look realistic. All of that, including then the identity. How do I carry that identity across different experiences, which is really, um, I think, the problem we're talking about. So uh, let's move on to a question I brought up at the beginning, which is metaverse versus metaverses. And, and there are two cuts at this I, I want to start with. One is, and we haven't talked about it, sort of the elephant in the room, is Apple. Apple has got their own ideas about the metaverse. We haven't heard what they are. We know they are also spending tens of billions of dollars a year developing immersive technologies. So when they play their hand, you can be sure, like with iOS, it is not going to be interoperable with, quote unquote, the metaverse. I don't know how interoperable Microsoft Mesh and what they've had to say about the metaverse is going to be. Then you have the sites that are metaverse-ish, uh, starting with Second Life, the granddaddy of all 3D shared multiplayer worlds, but then going to ones more familiar with us, all, all space, VR chat, rec room, uh, Roblox. Uh, you know, these are very big metaverses, small m, in themselves. Right, so a lot of these metaversal things exist today. What we don't have is a thread that connects them that would make it a big M metaverse. Agree or disagree, Tony? We don't have the threads that connect them. Agree completely. Uh, regarding what particular players like an Apple are going to do, I mean, all these businesses are going to do what they're going to do. And you, you may think of Apple as a walled garden, but everything and people access the Internet through Apple devices every day. So this is going to be no different. There's going to be an ecosystem of hardware and software with all kinds of players. But there needs to be connective glue so that it can interoperate among all of them. Um, so to me, it's I, I think the magic of 3D somehow gets people in this cognitive trap that they think we have to do something so completely different. And I guess just my mileage in this industry and, and with this media type, to me, it's so simple. It's just another media type. Why are we making such a big deal about mm. it, right? We connect this 3D media type to all these wonderful new real-time services to cloud rendering and the miracles we can do. And that one was for you, Rick, uh, to all these wonderful other services, to, you know, Internet of Things and location, like Niantic's doing. And that is just magic. You know, the 3D cuts across all of that. Are we taking questions? Scott's got his hand up. I don't know, up. but it's, it's, I, I don't know. So I put it up and I'll let Go the decide. Get. Yeah. Well, because, Tony, I totally we've, agree with what I We have to repeat the questions and yeah, get we'll, it on we'll the recording. It's, yeah. it's more of a contribution. Than sure, go ahead. Yeah. But I, I believe the challenge is in the consequences, not in the tech or the design or the perception, because what I think we all fear in that sort of sci-fi dystopian thing is the lack. It, it's so cool that you lose this, and it's the social consequence that is the concern, not, not the tech or how you define it. I think you grokked that. You were tracking with Scott. Can you repeat that? Yeah, the, um, 
you know, we're, we're, we're talking a lot about technology, but what Scott is saying is that what we ought to be tracking is the effect of technology in the physical world. And that is one of the things we have really not talked about much on the internet. It, it, it's like that, um, you know, I don't want to go back to the old arguments about are video games good or bad, but I will say this. I was very disturbed about the idea of San Andreas, um, GTA 5 San Andreas coming to the Quest. Now, I know it's a silly thing that everybody plays, you know, Adam Lanza watched Call of Duty and then shot school kids. And should you blame Call of Duty or, you know, blame his mother for yeah, having please, those weapons? Please, let's don't relitigate that. Yeah, I think so, it was but, settled but, 20 years but, ago. I think we can all agree there has to be, as a society, a line somewhere. Okay, I don't know where that line is, but it feels to me like San Andreas is asking the question. And I will say this, just as sort of the, the, the mere lowest common denominator, you don't get to bring GTA V to the quest and congratulate yourself for making the world a better place. That just is, is, is wrong. Um, you can congratulate yourself for making money. You can congratulate yourself for pleasing your huge gamer audience, but making the world a better place by shooting strangers, you know, it's not the same as Call of Duty where the guy's wearing a Nazi uniform. Um, and I just think we, it's another example of us being completely unmindful of where this could possibly go. So I, I don't believe in censorship per se, but I do believe that we need to be sensible, right? I don't believe in taking away everybody's gun, but everybody who has a gun ought to have a driver's license and ought to have insurance because it's a hell of a lot more dangerous than my car. So, so we are venturing into this territory that I think is really important for future discussions about the metaverse, right? We're practitioners. We make the stuff that helps people make the stuff. And the tech industry in general has taken a rather neutral opinion for a while yeah. now. You know, technology is value neutral. It can be for good or ill. Um, and maybe it isn't our job to self-police, though we've done some self-policing. It might be a broader discussion. It's government, right, so society. Here's, well, right? Okay, so but, here's, let's talk about. But I feel about, like we have definitely Can we have one internet when China and Russia have control of theirs? You notice they specifically like had a call out, a carve out in my seven rules <laughs> about government stuff. I personally, I just, I don't even know how to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's clear. We, we think that it's going to be one and one metaverse, and it has to be as open as possible. Um, we don't have the answer as to how exactly it's going to work. Anyone who says that they do, they are lying. They don't know. Uh, but what, what we can do is, I think, as private organizations or public, uh, is to really try to work together on, on open standards and on privacy and on making sure that people this time do retain their sense of identity and they have control over it. Not just control, this is me, but this is me and this is how I present myself and this is how I feel today and it's not decided by you who's already created the digital profile for me. Uh, and I think that has to be worked on and th there is no answer to that yet. But provide even better tools, you're saying. Yeah. Okay, that's All a right, great so, idea. So let's, let's, let's play that out a little bit because you both have mentioned creators a lot of times, right? Because... Uh, all the metaverses that I mentioned, uh, Roblox and so forth, have been created by their users, right? Content on the internet today, the content we most concern consume is user-generated content, 
That was the dirty little secret at AOL when I worked there all those years ago. We thought it was, shh, don't tell anybody, but our users are creating all the content. Uh, and of course, now, now that's sort of risen to uh, almost a you know, fundamental philosophy of creators first. So um, how do you see uh, game engines providing that um, tool for creators that's democratic enough to embrace all styles, all levels of education, so that everybody can create spatial content, okay, not as easily as a Facebook post, but um, it is accessible to them. Yeah, I would say from, from, from our perspective, we try to demystify technology as much as possible and make it as simple as possible. While I understand that Unreal Engine is not the easiest engine to use, if you look at the MetaHumans, for example, MetaHuman Creator uh, per se, it, it does bring down the amount of time that it takes to create a digital human from sometimes weeks to less than an hour. You can do it by yourself. So. We are trying to go as much as possible that route. And even when you, if you take it to the gaming side, you know, it's not just Fortnite, it's Fortnite creative and you can create, uh, you know, your own games and your own things. People forget, but Fortnite players, I think, spend 40% of their time in Fortnite creative already uh, as it was before. Wow, I did not know so that. So that will increase over time as that, as, you know, as, as, it be, as it becomes larger and as we provide the tools to make it easier for anyone to create into that. So, uh, um, yeah, better tools and easier tools. Yeah, let me just amplify. And here's here's a place where I don't know how many more of these panels we're going to do. It's probably going to be a lot of them, Rafael. You and me, it's second, second in two, two weeks. weeks. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I have a feeling we're on the circuit together. And part of the challenge for us is we don't have much to argue about because we, we see I, work I, together. Yeah, and we don't we, have an issue with that. Yeah, not, not, you're never going to see it with the two of us. It's so funny. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of sort of amplifying each other here. Um, I'll, I'll give a slightly different uh, turn from the sort of Unity perspective in our history. A uh, company was founded by three folks in the garage building a game. Didn't like the game, but they, you know, they realized the engine could be something that could allow lots of people to create games. This was back in a time when the game studios were doing it themselves. Everyone would write a new engine for every game. It was priestcraft. It was very sort of, you know, lock-in kind of thing. And Unity really helped democratize that from the get-go. And that has been our mission, democratize originally game development. Now, all of 3D development, we have this slogan. If you were at the sessions yesterday, you heard Mark Witten say it multiple times. The world is a better place with more creators in it. That's like a mantra. But then when you unpack it, it's, it's become a mission for us that we have to like wake up every day and go like, okay, how are we doing that? And, and we had defined and been in an echo chamber for years about creators being game developers. It's just natural. That's your business. Our business blew up around mobile. And then all of a sudden, sudden something happened with VR. Everyone was using our engine because it was so free and you know, easy, free to start, so easy. That's one of the reasons I was hired and came in. I'm not a game person over five years ago because we started looking at other industries and the creators became people who worked in, you know, they were storytellers. They were like, you know, the Charlie and your students, right? And uh, filmmakers and folks doing medical simulation, folks doing industrial applications. And that changes the game completely. You got to change your tool set. You got to invest in other kinds of creation technology. And so this, I think this is a big challenge for us going forward because ultimately, yeah, everyone should be able to be a creator like a Roblox creator is today. Not necessarily have to be in world, be in world as appropriate. And we have to provide that whole infrastructure. Um, Rafaela, do you think that um, creators, like the kinds of creators Tony uh, is talking about, are going to be as sought after by the platforms as streaming celebrities are today? 
<laughs> Are the world builders the new streaming celebrities? I love that. Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, yeah, yeah, lots of different creators, but for creating within a world and trying to create experiences and things like that, yes. Uh, I think that there will be two kinds. I think that the personality type creator will still be very sought after. I mean, let me put a little more context around it. As part of Facebook's announcement, they flat out said, yeah, right. we are training and paying people yeah. to make places in Horizon. I see, um, you know, Doug is is back there. He, the guy uh, from BRC, who Doug uh, Thompson, who spoke just before us. I mean, Facebook is going to end up paying them to build things like that on Horizon. So that's really what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I think you also have to have though a community or a world where it makes sense to build something. You cannot force experiences just to force them and then make them, you know, make them take off. But we, we're going to find out. <laughs> I do think we. I do think it's a great. I do think we're going to have world builder celebrities. You remember, Charlie? You, you and I are old enough to remember the 2008 cover of Business Week. Anshi <laughs> Chung, Chi Chung, like real estate magnet and build developer in Second Life, like that unleashed a wave of wannabe, including a, a virtual world company. I got funded wannabe companies building virtual worlds, you know, pre metaverse boom here. Um, and I think you're going to see that now, but much more of a Twitch style version of that or much more of a, a social media celeb influencer version of that now. Yeah, for sure. So one thing so we should start a company that's like you know agency for that. One, one thing we haven't talked about, and I would love to get your yeah. perspective, uh, is how AR figures into this version or this idea of the metaverse, right? Because when we're talking about a fully embodied metaverse that you are inside of, um, you know, AR is almost the opposite, right? You are in the physical world; that's what you're inside of, and AR is giving you um, basically enhancements of that world. So, how does AR work with the metaverse? I'll start. I'm looking at that screen. That screen is connected to the internet. That camera is streaming us right now. I'm going to argue that's you know, proto-metaverse already, just not a lot of 3D holographic stuff that it's adorned with. To me, that's as much the metaverse mm -hmm. as a fully tuned out immersive world that you play in. So to me, I don't make that distinction again, because I mean, it would be like separating the internet from the internet of things or location-based <laughs> services where you're playing a game like Pokemon Go. To me, that's all the internet. Well, fully agree. Um, in fact, I switched my opinion on that a lot over, over the years. But uh, yes, it's, it's all of it. It's right now, mostly metaverse type uh, experiences are on the web. Uh, they might be uh, mobile, they might be mobile AR, sometimes they are in VR. I think there is a little bit less in AR because AR is a little bit more difficult to do right now. The glasses are not, you know, quite there yet, but they're going to be there. But it's not, uh, it's, it's, a, it's not XR first and thus there is the metaverse. It's, there is the metaverse and XR is part of the way that you can access it. Uh, smaller for the moment because the devices are not exactly where they're supposed to be yet. And as time moves on more and more so uh, and more immersion. Yeah, I mean, so unless you've, you define this as full immersion, yeah. full headset, full reality replacement, um, in which case then what Hanno said yesterday in that other panel when you were nodding with me about the, this is 30 years out, 
probably 30 years out. But I don't think that's the game we're on now. I think the game is we're making our information universe more immersive. We're bringing immersive content into everybody's hands. Everyone's becoming a 3D creator because it's it's just better when it's cheap enough and, and you can do it uh, for many things, not for all things. So, um, yeah, I, I think if you define it based on hardware, we're in a position where, you know, this this vision is going to take a lot longer to come to fruition. Yeah. Right, Raphael, I'm glad I get, we have a little time. I do want to take some questions, but I'm going to ask you one last question because I know you are involved specifically with the part of the business that involves uh, De developing IP and working with other people's IP and specifically with brands. So clearly Epic has a, a vision that brands have a place in the metaverse. So can you talk about that a little bit and elaborate for us? Um, yeah, I mean, we look at uh, brands as creators. So for us, a creator is anyone. It could be me. Uh, it could be you know somebody who just does that. It could be a brand. It could be anyone else. Uh, and so we, um, our job in general is really just to to help any creator build. So, brands as creators is a new idea to me. I really like that. Well, but if you think about it, uh, if you if now you have a branded presence in the metaverse, it cannot be your static presence anymore. You have to have an identity uh, as a brand and experiences that you're building, but those experiences are not fixed. There is a sense of persistency that constantly changes. So it's a very, very different way of introducing yourself um, and, and managing yourself as a brand moving forward. What we try to do with brands is we try to explain to them the concept of the metaverse and the concept of, of interacting and selling, possibly, uh, to consumers directly and getting them what we say metaverse ready. So we really try to push on that and say, hey, you have to have a library of, in, for the way that we look at it, of high fidelity 3D assets or high fidelity 3D experiences, and they have to be built with open standards so that you can carry them across any platform or any device, but you can also use them internally for you know, R&D, for product design, for merchandising studies and then externally to connect with consumers and then you can do it for your own properties that could be web, mobile, mobile AR, whatever, or you can put them in games, you can put them in Fortnite Creative, you can put them in Fortnite, you can do all these different things with them. But until you have that library, you're really kind of like back at square zero every time. So you need to start creating those and think about how you do it and how you, you know, and, and what's, a, what's a way of doing it. So we've got just a minute for questions. Anybody? Yeah. Um, how how important do you think it's going to be uh, for the Fortnite creative and the entire ecosystem, Fortnite ecosystem to um, point to a blockchain ledger so we can ca we can carry all of this information, all this digital identity? If you're buying, if I'm going to spend a fortune on a, a high brand fashion, you know, uh, skin, uh, I, I want to make sure that that's taken care of and, it's, and it really is mine. So, and 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 is that also going to funnel? I mean, ultimately, do these brands think? the digital assets are going to supplant the physical ones in terms of profitability long term. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's very important exactly what or how it's going to be done. Um, a little bit unclear, but certainly you need to be able to carry it with you uh, across. Uh, and as far as digital assets themselves, uh, there is a huge market for that. If you look at Fortnite, Fortnite per se, really, we make money mostly from digital, digital assets, skins and things like that, right? So we see more and more brands, particularly in the consumer branded space, wanting to create uh, 
just a completely new line of products that are simply digital. There are tons of those uh, that are coming up. And with that, you need to have the tools to create items that look as realistic as possible. Otherwise, it kind of falls after a little while. But. Um, okay, one last one, yeah. Bit of a philosophical question. Um, I guess the soul of the metaverse is um, we're, we're, we're asking or maybe talking about um, creating an entity or a, a universe that is still based on the frailties of humanity and all of the things that we have already done that are bad. And, and I'm just wondering, like, can we remake ourselves as a species within this like metaverse to like kind of weed out all of those imperfections. And is that a Gen Z thing for them to accomplish? No, I, I actually agree with that. I think there needs to be not all, you know, there needs to be one identity. That identity needs to be managed by a neutral, not-for-profit organization like I can. Um, I think, honestly, I think that, not that speech has to be regulated, but we have to bring to the metaverse the same kind of responsibility that each of us has to each other in this room, in this moment right now. Right. We, we agree not to disrupt this. We agree not to attack each other. And if we do, there are consequences. Yeah. And that is what the mistake we made on the Internet. And I really hope we're going to fix it on the metaverse. I don't have a lot of confidence in that um, because of the flaws of men. But let's just take some bigger perspective as we end here. The US Constitution is a document that has lasted as long as it has because it predicts weakness in men. It says men are weak, men are greedy, everybody agrees. Everybody missed knows. A few, missed a few edge cases, every, I think. Everybody knows, everybody knows that that evil potential exists, that will to power. So you have to put boundaries around it as we have seen, there are no perfect boundaries, but the boundaries worked for a long time. And so I think in the metaverse, if we have boundaries that contain greed, that contain violence, that contain politics, we will be better off. Not censor them, not eliminate them, but bring to them the same personal responsibility we, we feel in the physical world. That if you eliminate that personal responsibility, which is what you are talking about, then people are free to act in uh, act out their worst impulses. And not everyone will do that, but if one in a hundred people do that, that is way too many. I'm Which afraid I would, we're going to have to leave say, it there. We, we do do sometimes, even in Fortnite, sometimes during certain things, we do block certain type of actions because we want to make sure that we create that, that type of environment. I wish we had more time to dig into this. This is a whole panel unto itself. But I know, I wanna, this would be days if we could. I want to thank, thank our, our panelists here. <laughs> Terrific discussion. <laughs> I think ending on the soul of the metaverse as a theme. Thank you for raising that. Yeah. That's, a, that's an awesome idea yeah, and something is. that we should uh, consider maybe our, panel. our ninth panel today. Well, you know, it is a Gen Z thing. So thank you, Gen Z, for, you know, Absolutely. holding us to account. Thanks, Thanks guys. Everyone. This has been the Infinity Festival Hollywood podcast, a production of the Infinity Festival Hollywood and the Augmented City. You can find us on all major podcasting platforms and our website, infinityfestival.com. That's one word, infinityfestival.com. And there you'll find a full schedule, speakers, and map of this year's festival. We want to thank our presenting sponsors, Z by HP, NVIDIA, XLA, and our co-presenter Qualcomm for their support of this audio series. I'm John Gaunt inviting you to Hollywood's final district this November for the Infinity Festival Hollywood 2022. 
Thanks for listening.